I'd like to propose a toast. Hello and welcome to Before Brunch. I'm Megan Cassidy. And I'm Cassie Delaney. And we are your weekly celebrity, pop culture, social issues and arts podcast. And we go live every Sunday morning at around 11am. And we like to talk about all the things that you're going to be talking to your pals about at brunch. We take the things that have happened in the media, on the internet, in the news, everywhere during the week. And we try and make sense of them and make them relevant for our lives and therefore your lives. We are now brought to you by Diet Coke in conjunction with their Because I Can campaign. And we will now open a can of Coke and crack on. This is my favourite part. I know. There we go. The term crack on has such a different meaning now. Mm-hmm. Because of Love Island. Oh my God. So mm. you actually, let's talk about this briefly for a second because I don't mm. want to get into another Love Island podcast because this could no, go we're on. not going to do that no. yet. But let's just talk for five seconds about you text me earlier on the week and said <laughs> you are not watching this week. Okay, I did have a brief moment on Sunday where I was like, who am I going to share this with? Uh, I don't think I'm going to watch Love Island this week because it did get quite boring towards the end of last week, it I did, thought. yeah. I wasn't involved in the drama and we were kind of forcing ourselves to watch it. Habit. Um, it was just out of habit. And I kind of said, right, I think maybe this week I'm not going to watch it because I feel like I hadn't read a book or watched anything else in such a long time. Yeah. And it's it's a bit of, of what we were talking about last week in that I don't do anything during the week anymore. And like we obviously, we did a lovely sushi masterclass on, was it a Wednesday or like Tuesday? Mm-hmm. And it kind of, I was like, I want to do more things during the week, even if that's like read a book or watch a movie or go to the cinema or something. Yeah. I just haven't been doing that. It's literally been work, home, get your dinner sorted, Love get on Island. the couch for nine. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. This week has been very... um actually has been very good but like everyone who's listened to this is probably watching love island so you just know that it's been a very gripping um love island week my favorite was jack and danny having to prepare dinner for everyone last night i think i haven't seen last night's one all right well they had like a really nice challenge last night where jack and danny got to go to a supermarket i mean they were 100 percent shooting a pilot for their spin-off show like they just (laughs) obviously wanted to get that footage in the bag um but it was glorious it was great it was absolutely brilliant crack um, I completely agree with you on the idea that we should be reading more books or doing mm. more stuff during the week. Um, and it's something that I've been trying to do a lot lately as well, especially with the nice weather. Um, so I've been trying to get myself up earlier or like certainly reading before I go to bed. Um, I find I sleep better if I'm not looking at a screen before I sleep and if I read a bit of a book. So we are going to chat a little bit today about um, what we're currently reading and what that means mm. Um we're going to deviate from book club and just go, just go just rogue. Go <laughs> rogue. I like the, I like little, you know, I like conversations about routines and how we fit mm-hmm. things into our lives. And you're saying there that you read at bedtime. That's something that I might stop because, you know, you start to associate whatever you do in bed, you associate it with maybe I've associated it now with going asleep because mm-hmm. I did read to make myself tired and, I think now maybe three pages in my eyes are closing just because my body's conditioned to go asleep. Yeah. So I'm not getting any significant chunk of anything read ever. And every night I have this massive stack of books beside my bed that just keeps growing and I can never commit to the one thing. It's it's just not the right reading environment for me anymore. It used to be. 
yeah. it's not anymore. It's definitely nice being outside and having a read. Like I find mm. just like sitting in a chair or on the grass having a read. I could do that for hours. Yeah. I yeah, I know I'm the same. I am starting to fall asleep earlier and earlier um, when I'm reading. But it's just it's a really nice kind of way to ease yourself into sleep. I think yeah. is to have a read. It's so lovely to co-read as well. If someone else is reading beside you in bed, I think that's a really nice shared experience. Oh, nice oh. little segue because the second part of our podcast today is about shared experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about what you are reading or what you've just okay. finished. So with in mind, so last week I was starting to feel, okay, I'm not reading enough, I'm not reading enough. And I got sent this book, Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. She is a Japanese author. She's written 10 books, I believe, but this is the first one that's been translated into English. Really, really short. Like when you open it, the writing is really big. And that for me was like, I'm going to read this. I can probably do this in one or two sittings. Uh, It's a great way to ease myself back in. And the minute I started it, like it is adorable. I'm giving it to Cassie today and you're going to read it. And we'll see what you think next week. It won't take you long to read it all. So it's not a big commitment. But it's very much like I've seen it online compared to The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Okay. Um, I don't know. Did you read that in yeah, school? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously the um, the protagonist has Asperger's. And now, am I wrong there? Asperger's or Asperger's? I can Asperger's, never I think. Yeah. Okay. And this is the conversation that we had last week as well. I oh, just before you arrived, I have like a little snippet that I want to read out about um the book we're going to be talking about after this and I had to Google pronounce some of the words and just just to be <laughs> sure and like I was playing it on loud here in the laptop in the studio yeah and I'm sure our, our um chap over here was getting really worried about me because they're basic words and I'm not going to yeah. tell you which ones I had to but it's okay, okay. you know yeah. just it's better safe than sorry no it, it certainly is and I mean I just went you know sh- shot from the knee there and I got it wrong I think my English teacher used to say Asperger's and I think that's yeah you pick up these things we've talked about yeah. in last week's episode yeah. yeah but you're in a safe space Megan it's okay yeah we're not going to judge you yeah so obviously the protagonist in The Curious Incident has Asperger's my dad's reading it at the moment so actually for the first time loving it if you haven't read it do it's a gorgeous book yeah. um, but here clearly it's again it's the trope of I mean the trope of an unreliable narrator is so mm-hmm. it's been done to death it's so popular and I, it's a great uh, way to approach a story because it's very challenging to the reader obviously yeah and most of the books we would have read in school would have had an unreliable narrator like Wuthering Heights or um, even recently r- we read The Girl on the Train is a great example of an unreliable narrator in that yeah. we learn very quickly that she's an alcoholic mm-hmm. so we need to take everything she's saying with a pinch of salt and it kind of challenges yeah, you uh, yeah and it leaves more room for interpretation which is a really um, I suppose challenging and enjoyable read yeah that's it so this uh, narrator works in a convenience store and it becomes clear quite early on that she has Asperger's syndrome um, or something on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. um, and identifies completely with her role as a convenience store worker. Um, she, It seems like she had some very strange behaviours as a child, um, a sort of sociopathic almost in that she would, if there was a fight happening in school, she would grab a shovel and beat the the fighter to mm-hmm. the ground and not think anything of it and when they she found a dead bird as a child she thought okay wh- how are we going to eat it there was no sort of empathy, emo- yeah. empathy and she's relaying these stories obviously 
not realizing that it's abnormal the things that she's mm-hmm. explaining but that's always a good way to look at the world in a fictional book because you're yeah. seeing it um from the perspective of someone who is sort of looking at it with fresh eyes or a completely different pair of eyes she um identifies completely with her job as a convenience store worker is maybe 38 now i think and obviously society it's a japanese society that like a convenience store worker would be the very bottom of the rung and they're obviously so heavily focused on climbing the career ladder um so everyone's putting pressure on her to get married or to have a baby and they can't understand why she doesn't want to progress in her career you would love it okay um so she it's you know what it is you know why it reminded me of eleanor oliphant is that the detail in it is so mundane but you become attached to the mundane detail of her life like Mm -hmm. you don't want things to get stirred up you're like i need to know that the rice balls come in on a tuesday at 10 a.m and they have to be stocked on the shelf yeah so you just kind of i think what happens when you see and this is what we're talking about today really is is the importance of having characters like this or being having that kind of proximity to characters like this is that it teaches you about empathy and it teaches you about different um, perspectives on life. So obviously with this and certainly with the case of Eleanor Oliphant, you felt a great deal like of empathy towards Eleanor mm. um, without understanding what it was or why that you needed. You just wanted to keep her protected, which is almost contrary to what you want to happen in a novel. You want there to be excitement and drama and, you know, things catalysts that move the story along but with Eleanor you just you wanted her to like shake her and be like oh Eleanor don't do that you didn't want her to go to that gig you didn't want her to do anything you were like Eleanor just sit down on your couch and be safe and I don't care if it's a boring read because it was stunningly written yeah um and obviously for anyone I think a lot of people have actually read this book and I don't think we we think we touched upon it briefly about how good it was and you recommended it to me and I read it on holidays um at the end of last year and it is a novel by Gail Honeymoon. It's uh, Gail is it was a debut novel that she wrote in her forties, um, and basically centers around this kind of bizarre character of Eleanor Oliphant. Um, and I was just reading a sort of review by Jenny Colgan in the Guardian about it, and I just think that the way she describes the book is so brilliant. It's just absolutely fantastic, and the reason that the book is important. Um, and she says. Most workplaces have an Eleanor, the slightly odd plastic bag clutching person who scuttles away from all communal enterprises, who rarely says a word that isn't about the matter in hand, whose home life can only be speculated about, not always kindly. Um, so obviously she's someone that we we all know in Eleanor, or we and we've talked about this before, we all have a little bit of Eleanor That's in it. it. Um, and I think what's interesting about this book is there is no... As there's no... Um, defining moment where we understand what is wrong with Eleanor Um, she obviously she lives on her own um, and profound loneliness is one of her I suppose scourges um, but we don't know if she actually has a mental health issue or mm. if she has something wrong with her um, and Jenny Colgan says uh there are many reasons for Eleanor's isolation. These are gradually unpicked as the novel unfolds, as well as the, mi- as the mystery of whether there is actually something wrong with her or whether it's just that without social interaction, our ability to understand what is appropriate behaviour in the world simply withers away. Mm. Um, and I think that's brilliant. And I think that having, you know, we can often look at someone or be very quick to say, oh, 
they're odd or whatever without really taking into consideration why it is that they are that way like mm. and the effect that profound loneliness can have on something yeah. or someone um which i just think is fantastic so i'm really looking forward to reading reading this one as well and understanding that perspective yeah like there's so many similarities and you're so right in that I think the reason that I became so attached to Eleanor Oliphant was that you do see facets of yourself in it. And your biggest fear as a human is that you're abnormal because obviously yeah. that's primal. It's we want to be part of the group and um, we want to be accepted by the community. And it's it's not mob mentality, but you don't want to be the antelope in the David Attenborough documentary that's clawed down at the back of the gang. Like yeah. You want to be in the gang at the front, in the center it's just built into us and when you have thoughts or feelings or behaviors like sometimes I dream about we've both spoken about this before we love our jobs and we love our careers but we dream about maybe having something really simple like being a house painter that you know where it's just the 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 sa- like you know it's just relaxing the same thing the routine yeah. exactly um and I related to that in Eleanor and I relate to it with the the um, protagonist in Convenience Store Woman is Keiko or Ki- Ki- Kiko uh, Furukuma. Um, those little moments where Eleanor says every Friday I got I get my pizza from Marks and Spencers and I get my bottle of wine. I found myself jealous of her routine and depending mm. on her routine, and it's like a whole new <coughs> trope. Um, or storyline where I want the story to be as boring as possible to offset the manicness that's happening for me. Yeah. Do you know? But the idea of, it's the same idea here as it is in Eleanor, as it is in a lot of stories that deal with people that are abnormal or different, is that they start on the outskirts of the community mm-hmm. and the book is about their sort of ingratiation into the community so say in Eleanor we're gunning for her to make connections make social connections every social connection she makes is seen as this massive achievement because she's becoming normal Mm -hmm. and it's the same for this character in that she tries to replicate behaviors in the staff room because they're not coming from a real place and that she doesn't feel offended when men say oh I can't believe you're not married you're on the shelf you have such a crap job Mm -hmm. she doesn't feel offense so she needs to think to herself okay what would offense look like in this situation like what would I say if I was upset what would my inflection be or Mm -hmm. and mimics it and every time she does it and is successful I find myself giving her this little clap of oh she's she's coming back to the gang she's coming back to the gang and then you have to question yourself like why is it so important to be part of the gang yeah I mean and that's something we're going to touch upon later when we talk about um the importance of shared experience um but I think again going back to the the need for these characters and the need for more of them um because you know we can very easily look at this kind of like look at Eleanor and look at this story and there's a handful of other books that you can compare it to and when we were doing research for this podcast I came across you know 18 book characters that accurately represent mental illness or 16 fictional um books that have protagonists with mental health difficulties but you know, it's like that situation there where she's trying to mimic behaviors in the staff room, assuming that she's the only one on the outside and mm. that everyone else has this secret code of conduct or this secret understanding of how to behave around each other. And the more 
characters like this we see the more and more we realize that in actual fact that's not the reality there is not it's not you and everybody else it is you and a lot of other people who have a lot of other issues and the more and more we talk about this and the more we represent characters like this the more we understand it the more we empathize with it the more we can gather a collective understanding of us as a whole and society um and just integrate better and understand each other better um, mm. and I hope that this is kind of this is one of those sort of literary trends where we see stuff like this happening more and more and again I- for the for the, the the mental illness or the undiagnosed mental illness or whatever to not be the focal point of the story mm-hmm. so kind of contrary to the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime where it was very much about this young boy's experience of autism and dealing with his asp- Asperger's Oh God, I've done it to you too. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of it. Um, it's just about people who kind of seem to be inflicted with something, but are dealing with it on their day to day lives and just how it impacts them and their relationships. Mm. Um, I think it's fascinating, and I it's like just so highly relatable. It's so lovely, um, to see even just elements of yourself or elements of your behavior reflected in what you're reading or consuming. That's it. It's like we're actually all united in our abnormality. So yeah. it's it's almost comes full circle in that you feel like these characters are odd and they're on the outskirts of um, the community, but yet you relate to them and you realize that some of the behaviors that you've adapted are purely to fit into the community. Yeah, And maybe Eleanor and Kaiko are fucking right not to try and conform and then uh, you know it really makes you look in the mirror and say where have I forced people to conform who am I in this book I'm not Keiko I might be the other girl in the staff room who only enjoys when Keiko complains about things there's this one fabulous scene where they're at a barbecue and because she has on the surface got a pretty and all right social life in Mm -hmm. that she even my turn of phrase there and all right social life um, and accepted social life like what would be considered a normal social life in that she has a group of girlfriends that she goes to like bar- barbecues with on a Sunday yeah. morning or whatever and they're all married and they're maybe having a baby or whatever and they find it very uncomfortable when she's comfortable with not being married mm-hmm. so the only time that they sort of warm to her is when she expresses that she wants to get married or that she has a problem or that so she starts this relationship with a person that um is it's kind of a relationship of convenience mm-hmm. and she um complains about him at the barbecue and only when she complains do the rest of the gang like flock towards her yeah. it's what we spoke about it's like you're drawn to something bad happening that you can relate to it's like we all have these shared bad experiences yes yeah. So which yeah. is the nicest segue and the most <laughs> like, well, first of all, I'm going to ruin the segue by saying that it is like the scene in Mean Girls where they're back in Regina George's bedroom and they're looking in the mirror and Lindsay yes. Lohan is looking on and the girls are like complaining and they look to her. What's your complaint? What's your complaint? Um, exactly it. So that is a fantastic way of visualizing it. Mean mm-hmm. Girls is just always right there. Mm. Um. And just before we move on, it is lovely to see interesting female characters as well. Like, obviously, we've spoken about, say, Amazing Amy and Gone Girl is probably a Mm -hmm. little bit mentally unwell. Um, A little bit. (laughs) Just ever so slightly. A little bit. (laughs) But it's good to now explore interesting women that don't fit the mould. 
Yeah, but yeah. also and also that are not defined by mental illness, who are yeah. not, um, you know, who are not a danger or perceived. I mean, your one from Gone Girl is she's dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Whereas these kind of characters are just people who need an added level of empathy or need mm-hmm. an extra bit of understanding. Yeah. Um, and we probably encounter people like that daily. Absolutely. The Diet Coke Because I Can campaign is about carefree, fun with friends and celebrating the things in life that make you feel good. Take part in the Diet Coke Because I Can series by following hashtag Because I Can. So when we were coming up to research this piece, we kind of were surprised by how few... um, pieces there were or or articles there had been written about the importance of shared experience and this is something that we have often talked about or touched upon um because i suppose given our careers and our roles working in content media and all that kind of stuff we have often talked about the importance of content and literature and media is about creating a shared experience for people so it's about um it's about putting forward thought or opinion or um, content that people can relate to and understand and um, talk about. Um, so, and that's what we feel about these books as well, is that it's it's about sharing in the shared experience. Um, sharing in the shared experience, that was very articulate, <laughs> call me. Um, so I came across this, this one piece um, in The Atlantic, which is actually from 2014. Um, it is a piece by Olga Kazan called The Importance of Sharing Experiences. And it's basically pulling apart a study that was done in the Harvard Decision Science Laboratory, um, where they took 68 participants and they were broken into groups of four. So in in the groups of four, three people were shown a kind of mundane cartoon, um, a low budget kind of cartoon clip. And one person was shown a video of a street magician performing like really impressive tricks for a very appreciative crowd. And then after the they were the, these they were shown these clips, the four people were brought back into a room together and asked about how they felt and their experiences. First of all, they were you know they were given a couple of minutes to talk about it, and then they were surveyed and asked two questions: How do you feel right now? And how did you feel during the interaction that just took place? So they're talking about the interaction of talking to their peers, um, and it was a hundred point scale, and the it ranged from excluded to included. And surprisingly, the people who had watched the exceptional video were felt worse than the people who had watched the mundane, ordinary video because they felt on average about 30 points more excluded than their peers. So obviously you can imagine this happening that you've gone, you've experienced something on your own, you're going back into a room and while your experience technically or subjectively trumps the, the experience that they've had, the fact that there's three people there talking about a shared experience makes the person who's had the exceptional s- experience feel more isolated. Um, and there's loads of comment and, and talk about this and what kind of impact this has and how this will, you know, how this makes people feel and how you should apply these kind of learnings to your life. Um, and basically, there's a really uh, some really interesting kind of thought in this piece, but it just goes to show that people bond more over... Um, relatable instances rather than exceptional mm. ones um, and there's other studies that are uh, exper- like in this piece in the Atlantic about how if you eat dark chocolate with someone it tastes different to when you eat it on your own you will experience things at a more intense and heightened rate when you're doing them with someone else as opposed to doing them when you're on your own but it um, it's a really interesting 
studied because it kind of takes into consideration people who would often go off and like travel or experience things on their own don't anticipate the isolation they're going to feel when they return or the isolation they're going to feel when they come back to their peers Mm. um and it's again back to that idea of like expectation versus reality or your anticipating self and your remembering self is that when you question someone, you ask them, what do you think will make you happier or what do you think will give you the best experience? Everyone's going to say, oh, the skydive mm. over a, you know, a pint in the local pub with three of my mates. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'd go to New Zealand and do the skydive. But actually what they're finding is that the people who are coming back from those exceptional experiences Um, Obviously, that's a really stark comparison, but the people who are coming back from that once off kind of individual experience are feeling more isolated and less satisfied than they thought they would be afterwards. It's such a great piece and like so many different parts of it resonated with me. But the first thing I thought was. Yes, there's exceptional um, experiences versus mundane ones, but taking it to the other end of the scale, nothing bonds you with a person or a group better than going through something terrible together Mm -hmm. or having some sort of bad experience. Like I go on press trips sometimes where we would have a massive assemble of people from all across the media industry that I might never have met before, might work in completely different uh, areas or genres mm-hmm. to me and um, the better and more swimmingly the press trip goes the less friends I make if something bad happens to us like we get caught in a storm or we yeah. I fall off the back of my fucking paddleboard and inhale a lot of water and have to be like taken back to shore does, does this from that happens yeah and I made such a good friends off the back of that because it was so awful yeah and it, it's so true about, so you travel alone. There's sort of this expectation that come home and don't bore everyone with how good it was. Like, come home and tell people about the shit bits or... Yeah, and but it's it's more yeah this and this study is really interesting as well because it's there are two ends to the scale. So it's it also says that when you experience something negative in a group, you experience it, you perceive it to be far more negative than you would on your own, Mm. um, comparably. So I think it it just really comes back to the fact that people will connect with you more when we're talking about something that they can relate to Mm. so it's very very difficult if you're coming back and you've done your skydive and then you're walking into the local pub and you expect the three people who have not left to be able to understand the experiences of doing a skydive when they haven't done it yeah it's just it's hard we actually as humans i don't think can obviously we can imagine it and we can listen and we can you know emphatically talk about how wonderful that might be but until you've experienced something it's very very hard to feel that connection about it yeah there's just going to be that distance there yeah whereas if you're on holidays and you're going on your travels and you're coming back and you're talking about how your luggage got lost that's relatable because that Mm. has probably happened and while you can talk about how it happened to you in you know in the back country of vietnam and someone else might be talking about how it happened to them going over to fucking the south of france it's still a relatable concept that people can engage with that's it and it feeds so well into the conversation we just had in that to say the likes of eleanor and kaiko are on the outskirts of the community they're not in the group but they're almost perceived as lesser than the group Mm -hmm. um and we want as a 
community to pull them up and to make sure get into the group and we're reaching down and come on be normal like come up here come up yeah but at the same time once we're all here we don't want anyone going up above us like leaving the group the other way so it's like the lobster pot in that if something really good happens to someone or they've gone through something amazing our instinct awfully is to pull them back down a notch it's hold on don't get too fucking special but it's so instinctive i mean it's so instinctive when you are looking at it from the perception of your group or safe within your group. And it is, I mean, there's loads of things that feed off this study. There's groupthink, there's mob mentality. There's the fact that you will be influenced so greatly by the people around you without realizing it. But I think what is so particularly interesting is that when you think about yourself as an individual, it's so, you just, because I think we don't even realize that we are being influenced by the people around us, it's just so easy to disregard them and think to yourself, oh, I'd be so much happier if I was away on a beach on my own reading a book, blah, 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 blah. And in actual fact, what this is saying is that you will not be happier. You might think you will be, but you will not be happier. In fact, you could end up feeling a lot worse because you're isolating yourself from Mm. what we all want at our core, which is just shared experience. That's it. So instead of going far flung off on your own, maybe consider doing other things closer with a group or finding your tribe or whatever it is and just finding those people to connect with because mm. at the end of the day that's seemingly what makes people the happiest. Of course yeah. there's people outside of that and it doesn't apply for everyone, but it's just a really interesting perspective. Now, this doesn't shit all over people who go off traveling and and saying that, you know, you shouldn't do that and you should you should just go down to the pub or you should just sit with your pals and just have a chat or whatever. But um, it just kind of recommends that if you are going to do things that are, um, you know, extraordinary experiences um, to do them, kind of make sure they are novel and do them, do them planned out or do them whatever. But it did interesting also say that it even doing them with a stranger who you've just met still makes them more intense than doing them completely on your own. Really? It is. Another interesting part was about how, as you're saying there, keep these experiences novel, do them rarely, how quickly we normalize good things. So how quickly... If say you get a new job offer and it's you're elated, it's you're on top of the world, and then how quickly does that become the new normal? And it's also relative. Like say I went to an event last night at um, a salon in town for the launch of Miss Universe. When I was twenty one, I probably would have gone home and cried myself to sleep because of how beautiful all the beauty queens mm-hmm. were and how I'm not one of them. But then I was looking at them last night. I went with my friend who's also not a beauty queen that she like, won't mind me saying. And uh, we were in our work gear and we were on the outskirts of the community at the event. But I was looking at them and it becomes so relative so quickly. So, yes, they're in the competition. You can guarantee they feel as bad as we do in that they yeah. feel like someone else is prettier. So once you get to that level, you're there and then you normalize and you go okay what's next and who's prettier and some of those girls in that group 100% felt worse than me and Kira did in our like shirts and yeah ripped jeans and we'll see now now you know now as a more educated listener of before brunch quoting this 2014 Atlantic article Mm. you know that were you the prettiest girl in the room you probably would have felt more isolated and therefore mm-hmm. not as actually happy. 
I mean, the novelty wears off. Yeah. I'm not saying that I wasn't the prettiest girl in the room. Just that I was. Sorry, that's that was. You know, I was reading I between the lines. Don't know how you deducted that. Okay, sorry. Just that I wasn't in the competition. You, you know. Sorry, that was my misunderstanding. Yeah, you misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you did point out that Kira probably wasn't the prettiest person in the room there, which was horrendous. Kira is one of the most beautiful people, and you know Kira as well. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely stunning, and in fact. The photographer took her side to take her picture, even though she was dressed quite appallingly. I think she won't mind me saying, um, because she shines like a light. And myself and Kira were very bonded in the shared experience of not being Miss Universe contestants, which will make you happen. Like this is this theory is freeing because yeah. you can sit there, you know, sit tight in your happiness, knowing that if. That that would make you happier than the alternative, which mm-hmm. would be to go on and to win and to have to travel the world on your own. That's it. And what made us very happy afterwards was a massive cheese board and some chicken liver pate and saw a bottle that, of wine. Saw that on your story. It did look absolutely stunning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even not to harp on about Love Island, but it's definitely, that's another shared experience that we're all enjoying. And yeah. I think what, you know, provokes the most conversation is the awful things that happen to people like Laura, who I actually... I do think it warrants an episode about how ageist Twitter is. Oh my God, yes. And it's so terrifying. Laura is approximately six months older than like, I am. At a, at a push, I would say. All of these kids on Twitter are like, when is she going to hit the menopause? And why isn't she being with people her own age? And oh, my! if my granny ever acted like that, I'd be appalled. I just don't feel like I was like that when I was 23 or 20. Like these, there's not that much of a difference. No, it's crazy. I it's terrifying because I mean, I, we, I work with people and there's that age difference and I hope that they're not looking at me being like, oh my God, is she on the menopause? On the menopause. But I have a very shared experience with Laura right now. Like I'm, and even my boyfriend keeps saying, oh, you know, he references her age all the time. And I'm like, Aiden, I'm the same age as her. And I'm here with you right now. <laughs> it's hurtful. <laughs> but, yeah. look, we're so young. We really are young. But, you know, that's a shared experience that that we have with. Yeah. So there we go. Like, I think we've really just, this, reading this piece for me and reading into this kind of Harvard study, just really made me understand like my motivations and the things I do inherently and like the f- you know those feelings that you have where you just want to go hang out with your pals or you know be with your family or whatever or do things even mundane things that are y- that you enjoy but you're doing them with someone special then that's that's kind of why I'm not motivated to actually go out and do things that are particularly exciting because I understand this and it really just goes back to your kind of you know when you're you're a teen and you're like but mom Everyone is doing it. Mm-hmm. But if they jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Maybe you'd just be happier to follow them. Probably. <laughs> Group think. You probably Group would think. just <laughs> jump off the bridge. You'd be like, it must be safe if everyone else is doing it. Moral of the story, don't bother trying to think for yourself. Fit in. Uh, conform. 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 That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, please, if anyone stumbles upon Convenience Store Woman, woman, I don't know if it's in shops yet, but if you stumble upon it, you can order it online. Please read it and let us know what you think. And thank you so much for the amazingly kind DMs and messages that you guys send in. It makes it so much easier for us to get up on Sunday morning and get this live for you. So thank you. Thanks. And keep sending them. Do. <laughs> and if you don't like it, just don't bother.
and do please rate review subscribe send to your pal send to your friends and um, and yeah let us know what you think about the podcast yes. thanks guys thanks bye, bye. The Diet Coke Because I Can campaign is about carefree, fun with friends and celebrating the things in life that make you feel good. Take part in the Diet Coke Because I Can series by following hashtag Because I Can.